Welcome to the College Sports Insider, presented by the NCAA and Champions Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. This is a special session of the College Sports Insider because we are at Indianapolis, and it is the day that the Commission on College Basketball has come forward with a series of recommendations. Uh, the commission has gotten a lot of attention leading up to this, and there's certainly going to be a lot of attention following it, uh, given the suggestions that they made. We're going to be talking to a number of members of the commission, I'm delighted to start off uh, today with Gene Smith, who is the Director of Athletics at The Ohio State University. I said it right, didn't I? You did, Jack. Uh, right. Perfect. Great, great. <laughs> there is so much to talk about here. Yeah. Let, me, let me start with a little bit of the process, mm -hmm. because I think folks would like to understand how this all came about, and then we'll talk about some of the specifics if we could. Well, you get the phone call, and Mark Emmert, President of the NCAA, asks you to be part of this, and, and you say yes. Going into it, what were your expectations? Yeah, you know, I really didn't have a clear understanding of what to expect. Uh, I knew that, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, uh, and I knew we had problems. And uh, my years of experience uh, afforded me uh, sort of the background to hopefully be able to contribute and, and come out with some recommendations to try and help mitigate what we have today. Um, so I really didn't go in thinking one way or the other that we got to do this, we got to do that, or, or we're going to 100% clean up the culture that exists. So I kind of went in just open-minded. Um, you know, I went to school with Condi. Uh, she's just an unbelievable leader, a great person. I obviously knew the other many of the other members on the committee, so I, I realized we had a great team. Uh, so I just said, you know, this is going eyes wide open. Give me a sense of how it all worked, mm -hmm. how you would all get together, how you would handle your conversations, how, how heated some of the discussions might have been. It was actually really a great process. You know, I've been on almost every committee at the NCAA, and this is the best experience I've ever been a part of. Why? Why, um, why, do, why do you say Primarily because of Condi, mm -hmm. and, and we also had some uh, third-party people who were not athletic practitioners mm -hmm. in the room. Uh, so... That was really good because um, they brought a different perspective. And actually, that's why in the report, there's some rec recommendation for the board of directors to add five uh, people from the outside to their board. But uh, so we started out with a, an organizational phone call you know, with all the members and, you know, kind of kind of give us our charge, reiterating it uh, from uh, from Mark Emmert. Um, and then we talked about strategy and how we're going to meet and when we're going to meet. And we ended up meeting once a month, basically. Yeah. Uh, were you able to DC. get together in person? Yeah, in person. All of them, after that phone call, were in person in different parts of the country. Um, and we would meet for a day and a half. Uh, we may start out the meetings with the staff, Mark Emmert and his staff, going over some things. And then we excuse them. We're a totally 100% independent commission. We had our own legal advice, our own PR firm. Um, I think that's important for people to know. Totally 100% independent, and so there was no. This was not an NCAA committee. Uh, so we were, uh, we ran our our meetings. So when we may have staff in there to, to give us some clarifications on some interpretations around rules or things of that nature or give us some data around something that we're talking about. Uh, but we kick them out. And, uh, and so then we, we meet and discuss issues. But we, we decided that early on we were going to conduct our hearings as, as early and as fast as we could. So we had Adam Silver in, you know, Michelle Roberts from the NBA, Player, NBA Players Association. Um, the commissioners came in. We had three commissioners in uh, the NABC and Bill Self and some other coaches. Um, 
high school coaches, uh, AAU coaches. Uh, we just uh, the uh, apparel companies. Each each apparel company came in. Agents. We had some agents in for one session, then another special session for one agent that we wanted to have by himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had a number of hearings that where we got feedback. And uh, did, did you find sometimes, as you know, you might get people to show up for your hearing, but they're working off a hard script, right? And they're not right. going to deviate from that script at all. Yeah. Did you find, especially the apparel company representatives, yeah. represented the NBA, uh-huh. NBA, NBPA, did you find that they were willing to to engage, to be oh, candid yeah. with you? I was surprised. I was real surprised at how open and and willing they were to to engage. And I think that some of them were thirsting for collaboration. Uh, because they, they've been operating in this space. There's been no collaboration whatsoever before. We've all kind of pushed one another away, and all of a sudden, we're talking. And we all know the issues, so there's no secrets. And so when, when someone didn't raise a point, if an agent didn't raise a point, or if the, uh, a pair company didn't raise a point, we raised it. And then they will respond and vice versa. So it was really a positive collaboration. Yeah. Let me talk about some of the specifics here. Uh, the, there were a lot in terms of these recommendations. Yeah. And as somebody, myself, who was a Division One mm-hmm. football player, and both my children were Division One athletes, right. I've been deeply invested in, in the values, transformative value of mm-hmm. college education right. and the opportunities that athletics provide for you. So there are a lot of things in this mm-hmm. report that, that I'm welcoming, embracing. Mm-hmm. I, as, as you know, the headline is going to be the, the issue of one and done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and right. it's a significant issue. I'm not That's saying true. it isn't, part but there are it. other important mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. there that hopefully are going to get talked about. So let's start with that. Um, if you would ask people, to, when this first started, a number of years ago, mm-hmm. th- there would have been a significant debate That's right. I'm, I'm wondering, and, and based upon people I've talked to, mm-hmm. most people I've talked to now have said, essentially, no, it has to go away. It's got to go away. Did you find something close to unanimity in oh, terms 100%. of your board? So I think all of us went into the room knowing that that had to go away. All right. So that was something that, that you all is. agreed on. That's where the big number is. The big money's there. It's a small number of, of, of elite athletes. But that piece had to go away. And when you think about all these pieces, all the different recommendations, you have to think of all of them in an integrated way. One single thing does not help mitigate the environment. It's the integration and application of all of them uh, uh, seamlessly that ultimately will will change our environment to some degree. I think the interesting irony about the one and done issue is there's so few people Right. That it applies to. That's right. It's a and small yet it, it has become this enormous umbrella under yeah. which all of college basketball Well, all 14-year-olds think they're going to be one and yeah, Everybody does. And that's where they get bought. Yeah. It starts the youth environment is where the significant challenge is. That 14, 15-year-old uh, who's been uh, befriended by a third-party influencer convincing them that they're going to be a one and done. Right. That's, that's, your, that's your future of the NBA, not college education. That's where it starts. And so what we wanted to do is take that off the table. And so then when you look at our regional camp structure, part of it, part of it is taking those young people into the regional camps, teaching them. A different culture, hopefully. Boom, whole different Basketball, culture. Life skills. Life skills. Realistic education. expectations. This is why you have to take the core courses in order to be eligible. Then, you know, the part if you go do get drafted – and you don't get drafted, you can mm-hmm. if you apply for the draft and don't get drafted, and you right. can come back. I mean, all that together right. is what we're. So it's all interwoven. It's all interwoven. You can't look at one individual piece and mm-hmm. say that's it. Or, right. but to to us, without all the aggregate recommendations, 
is tough. Yeah. Looking at the one and done, as you know, mm-hmm. and I think one of the important things of, of these recommendations and the coverage is going to get is, is people who don't realize that this is, they think this is an NCAA rule. Oh, yeah. They don't realize right. it's yeah, the it's NBA's yeah, rule. So well and said, I think Jack. they'll learn about that. But my question right. to you is, are you optimistic that the NBA and the NBPA yes. are going to go along? Because, look, as you know, if, mm-hmm. if I'm you know, the last one or two guys on an NBA roster, mm-hmm. right, and I'm five years, six years into the league, I may well be saying to my union reps, right. hey, I don't want 18-year-olds coming right, in right. or 17-year-olds right. coming in because if an owner says, look, I got a guy who's going to come in on a rookie scale or mm-hmm. I got a guy who's a five- or six-year player who's you know, not that significant right. but on my team, where am I going to go? Well, dollar signs would say I go to the 18-year-old coming in. So mm-hmm. I got to believe that there will be a significant number of players in the league saying to their union, we don't want this to go yeah, away. I, I Are think, you optimistic uh, it I'm will? I'm optimistic. I think the owners do, and I think there's – uh, without naming names, I think there's some members of the union board that are, are positive towards it, and they want they they want to do it for the good of the game, and, and um, they they want to do it for the right reason. Uh, the NBA, USA Basketball, NCAA, you know, Players Association, everybody has to own this, and I think they're I think they're they're they will step up and own it. Now, the implementation time frame, I don't know, uh, but at the end of the day, I think they'll do it. You mentioned one of the other interesting components of this, and I think that is how to deal with the Mm non-scholastic basketball events. And by those, you mean, you know, all of the AAU tournaments, all Mm -hmm. the showcase tournaments, all the things that you get out. I mean, when you and I were coming up, you know, college uh, college (laughs) coach, you know, wanted to see you. They'd have to come to your games. Yes, come to your high school. That's right. Come to your high school. We played shirts and skins at the parking lot, man. That's right. Exactly, right? Uh, Now it's a different world. It is. Now I don't think high school coaches rarely go, especially for basketball. That's because right. it's their season. Rarely do they get a chance to go to a high school gym and watch somebody play. So this has become an important vehicle no for question. recruiting. But it's a vehicle that in many ways is is completely out of control. Totally. To talk about the challenge. Mm-hmm. Again, we, we, we mentioned the notion of going from recommendation to implementation. That's right. Talk about the challenge of changing that model. Well, you know, um, I think one of the things that would be very helpful is having the USA Basketball, NCAA, and NBA collaborating and hopefully we can pull the apparel companies in to be a part of it. The summer is totally unregulated. There's no governing body. So what we want to do is go into that space and create some governance. Uh, We want to recognize that there's the elite player. Maybe there's 100 to 200 of those elite players that potentially could be guys that go right away or, you know, they're just top-level talent. We want to recognize that there's a group right below that. And then there's a group that's a broader group that mm-hmm. just want to have an opportunity to play and ultimately, ultimately may get a scholarship somewhere. So what we want to go in is, is create a structure in that environment uh, where our coaches will now go. They won't go to some of the places where there's an unscrupulous operator, frankly, just trying to make money. Um, and so we think that by putting that in that space and then by propping it up, make it something that kids want to go to, have a ranking system. You know, have where they actually get ranked because that's important to them. And then having life skills and, and teaching them about why it's important to take your core courses in your sophomore year and your junior year and so on and so forth. Bringing in the NBA, an important piece is having the NBA tell Gene Smith the truth. You know what? You're not going to be a draft pick in your senior year out of high school, which means, you know what? I better start focusing on the collegiate opportunity, okay? 
that's part of our big challenge is the young people are listening to other people. But if we can bring the MBA in and create a process where they can actually look at Gene Smith when I'm a junior in high school and say, you know what, you ought to be thinking about college. That's what, that's the juice. And, and I think yeah. that, as you know, look, we were all 17-year-old athletes. Oh, we yeah. all thought we were great at the time. No, and we wanted to hear no people question. tell us we were great yeah, at the that's time. Right. <laughs> but to have a structure like that that has integrity to it. Yes. NBA people, college right. people saying to you, hey, right. it's not going to work for you. But you know what? Four years right. from now as a college senior, you could be a completely different player. Exactly. So. Let's be clear. There's some great operators out there that's right. running some great events right. with the highest of integrity uh, that operate in different time frames in April and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Those will go on. All we're asking is for all of those operators to be transparent. You know, how are you funded? Where's the money flow? The whole nine yards. Yeah. Well, Gene, it's, it's, I know you got a lot of things to do today, and we appreciate your spending some time with us. It's been a fascinating Thanks, day. I, I think a, a day that is creates cause for um, for people to think, you know what, maybe we can fix this yeah. because it's something yeah. that has enormous value and is worth fixing. So hopefully, well, it's about it's, the effort, and, and the reality is everything that we recommended uh, may not be the end all. And I would, I've told my colleagues out there in the business, if we miss something and you think of something, get it in the system so we can continue to, to make it better. Yeah. And to steal, a, steal and sort of change a line from Winston Churchill saying it's not the end, That's but right. perhaps it's the beginning That's of a, right. of a process somewhere. that will end up creating and, and infusing the integrity that we wanted. In so, so true. Got to start somewhere. Gene, as always, good talk to you. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. I'm joined now by John Thompson III, who was a member of the Commission on College Basketball, and as you all know, is as a, a, a very deep and rich personal history of his own in terms of being a player, coach, um, his dad's legacy. Uh, so, John, welcome to you. Thanks for spending a little time with us here. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. This has been an, a, a, a fascinating day as the, the Commission rolls out its recommendations. Um, echoing again what what Dr. Rice said that the path from recommendation to implementation is is fraught with danger, and we'll see how that all plays out. But I do want to talk with you a little bit about how we got to where we are today. And and first question, and and I've been asking everybody involved is when you said yes, I'll be part of this. What were your expectations? You know, Dr. Rice in in her comments, she she accurately. No, I'm sorry. It was not Dr. Rice. When, when Dr. Emmert said in his comments, you know, he accurately described the conversation. You know, he called um, and explained to me what was going on and asked, Did you, are you interested in being a part of this commission? And so, you know, quite honestly, my immediate thought was, okay, is this just lip service? Is this something that you, know, you, want, you want to do so that at the end of the day you can say, hey, we reviewed, we analyzed, we, you know, but okay, let's put the recommendations on the shelf and forget about it. You know, and once he made it clear that, no, uh, this is, we want change, whatever change is to look like, and, and whatever this group of people uh, comes back with, we're going to try to implement as soon as possible, skipping the normal bureaucracy, so to say. Um, and so then, then you get excited. Then you get excited that, you know, in, in, in many things that we, several things we suggested, I think are major, some are subtle. I think many things we recommended were expected. Some probably were not. Um, and as Dr. Rice said, there's no quick panacea for all the ills of college basketball that have been building up for a century. Uh, but I think we took the steps toward 
I'm not sure if she said this today, but she said it many times in, in our executive sessions, just turn, slowly turning the ship in the right direction. And so um, given the opportunity to be a part of this in those discussions, uh, I was honored and excited and realized what a, what a, what a, how important it was. Let me ask you from your perspective, because you were a player in college and, as we know, a, a, a coach in college. And, and I have to believe that, that you've seen extraordinary changes in, in the recruiting process of young people, in the, the growth of, of what we've referred to as non-scholastic basketball events. Tell me how different it is from, let's talk about when you were a senior in, in high school, to most recently what it looks like now. So you're going to force me to date myself a little bit. <laughs> I didn't throw out a year for you. I was trying, I was trying to be tactful about that. 84, job. 1984, I was a senior in high school. Right. Um, the, the process is so different now. Kids are specialized you know, so much more now. They're playing basketball at a younger age. Um, you know, when, when, when I was coming up, I think, I think I'm right about this. You know, there was basically you played in your local AAU tournament, mm-hmm. And if you won that, you went to a national tournament, which was in Florida most of the time. And it was one tournament, one weekend, and then you're done. And we all know now that that world is long gone. And that you know, almost immediately when the high school seasons end now, teams are playing with their travel teams. They play so many more games. We talk about the influence and how we want to help give influence and power back to the high school coach. You hear people talk in those terms a lot. Well, they're playing 20 to 25 games for their high school coach, and they're playing 60 for their travel team. You know, because of, and let me just, I'm, I'm gonna digress for a second. All of the shoe company and apparel company's involvement in summer ball is not a bad thing. When they bring together hundreds and, and hundreds And I think that's an important thing, and Dr. Rice mentioned that too. Correct. That we, we don't wanna vilify the apparel companies across the board. Not at all, not at all relative to what they do for the collegiate institutions, nor what they do for summer ball. You know, but so now you get all these, you bring them together and there are thousands of kids. So the coach at Princeton can find the players he's looking for and needs to recruit, as well as the coach at Georgetown can find the players. And it's a, it's a different set of kids, obviously. Um, but the world has changed where the, the focal point of recruiting, you know, you, I may not be able to, during my season, if I'm a college coach, get out to... Nebraska to see a potential recruit, but once. My assistants can possibly go, but as the head coach, you can't just keep, you have to be there. Whereas in the summertime, I can see that same kid from Nebraska play, as as Dr. Rice said earlier today, you know, possibly five times in one weekend. And then I can see him the next weekend. And so the, the events in the summertime recruiting and the spring recruiting is, is crucial um, to the culture, to to, to recruiting these days. And that's, that's a huge swing from back in the days of yore no. <laughs> when I was in school. <laughs> I wasn't going to use days of yore when I asked you, but it is sort of vivid, isn't it, the fiction? Right, let me ask you from a coach's perspective. Will, will coaches, do you think, look at these recommendations? Let's start off with the, with the non-scholastic mm-hmm. programs. Will they look at that and embrace that, or do you think coaches will say, I'm okay with it the way it is right now. I don't need you to limit it in any way, shape, or form. Well, as with most things in life, it's going to be all over the board, mm. you know, to be honest. I mean, there's, 
there's there's a subset that thought we should do away with summer recruiting. There's a subset that wants to increase uh, uh, the number of uh, the, the amount of times you can see a kid in exposure during the summer. You know, I, I think that as a whole, uh, the coaching fraternity understands that change is necessary. I think as a whole, the coaching fraternity understands that change that may be good for our universe may not necessarily be good for me, Coach Thompson, at School X. But in the big picture, we have to start turning that ship in the right direction. And so, you know, some things they'll be happy with, some things I think the coaches will be very happy with. You know, the fact that we come out and we strongly recommend that with transfers, and there's been much discussion, it seemed like the, the NCAA was heading down the path of if you transfer, you can play right away. Not just graduate transfers, but everyone. And we came out and said, no, if you transfer, I think the coaches will love that because, you know, if you can transfer and play right, right away, that's just chaos. That'll, that'll cause chaos. That'll, and that that'll... surprises a lot of people. A lot of people think that coaches would welcome that, saying, great, I got a new player. But as no. you said, you've got plans. You've got you've got an estimate of who's going to be there for what years. What have you, you've recruited to right. those plans? So, but so, I think a lot of people were surprised when coaches came out and said, "We don't want that." No, I don't. I don't. I, I don't think I can find one coach that would want that. And so, um, you know, so there's, there's stuff in there that the coach is going to like. Some they're not going to like. But I think, as a fraternity, there's an understanding that that change is necessary. One of the things that Dr. Rice mentioned is that a, a significant rationale for many of these changes is the notion of creating a level playing field or a level playing court in, in your case, uh, where most people are doing it right and doing it honestly and by the books, and there are some that aren't. And the idea is how do we make this field level because the ones that are doing it right are looking and saying, wait, they're getting a benefit from not following the rules and I'm not getting that same benefit and I am following the rules. And one of the suggestions has been to significantly ramp up the notion of, of sanctions and, and penalties. I, I sat on the Division One Committee on Infractions for a few years. God and, bless you. And I, <laughs> it was an interesting <laughs> experiment. And you saw something that was kind of curious, which is a, a lot of the institutions were, would stand up and say, yes, we need to strengthen these sanctions, except if it was their case. Right. Yeah. And then it would be, no, 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 this is, this is way too strict, way too stringent than it should be. And there was, there was some validity to some of those arguments. How do you think the institutions, the coaches, the athletic directors then are going to respond to the notion of saying, we're going to really put something in place where if you break the rules, you know, we're going to drop the hammer on you. I think that, that most institutions, most coaches will be excited to hear that. I think they will be skeptical to see if it really plays out that way just because of past history. Right. But I think that the notion of – I mean, at this point, uh, uh, and I believe Dr. Rice said this, um, the, 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 the reward outweighs the risk. Yeah. You know, the, the, the cheating and doing things illegally and, and as you should not, the reward that you get far outweighs the slap on the wrist that's, that's been traditionally handed down by the NCAA, with a few exceptions, with a few exceptions. And so I think it's crucial to our game to try to change the mindset and put some fear or at least some thought into those that are not doing things the right way. Uh, because if all of a sudden there's going to be significant penalties, if all of a sudden, you know, I could face the death penalty, if all of a sudden my institution can lose five years worth of revenue, you know, that's something that the coach is not just going to think about, but the AD is going to think about, the president's going to think about, 
and possibly the board of directors are going to think about. And so I, I think having stronger penalties, having a totally separate entity to oversee and adjudicate and impose those penalties is crucial to take it out of you know, the NCAA's hands, just a totally separate entity is, is, is by far the right way to go. Um, you know, you can't legislate ethics, you know, but you can punish when someone's unethical. <laughs> Uh, and so I think that that's that that's where we have to go. That's where we're trying to go, and hopefully, it it, it is effective. Let me ask you about one other issue. And um, even though, as, as you know, and, and as Dr. Rice mentioned, these recommendations are are all um, interwoven. They're yep. all significant parts of of this bigger picture here. But uh, certainly, the the one and done question is going to be the headline for a lot of places and a lot of people. And, and a component of that is a recommendation that says, all right, if as a, as a player, student-athlete, you don't get drafted and you don't sign a professional contract, you can come back yep. and play. From your perspective as a coach, I would imagine that that, that, that would create some significant uncertainty for you. How, how do you think coaches are going to be willing? Because essentially, you don't know if a guy's playing, coming back next year or not. You don't know, do you have to recruit to fill that spot or not? How do you think the coaches will react to that? Well, that, that may be the, the thing that the coaches have the most pushback with. Uh, that's, that's, that, that admittedly puts coaches in a very, very difficult situation where you, do not, you will not know your roster until June, maybe July. And not only do you not know it, at that late stage, it's hard to go out and get other players. So you have to hold the scholarship for Little Billy, but now all of a sudden Little Billy goes, and the pool of people to replace Little Billy is virtually non-existent. That puts the coaches in a very, very difficult situation. We had a lot of animated discourse and discussion about that in, in, our, in, our, in our executive sessions. Um, at the end of the day, just the prevailing thought was it's best for the student-athlete, it's best for the player to give them that option to come back and not punish them if they make a mistake and not punish them uh, if, if they get bad advice and if they believe the guy in the barbershop that said, hey, you're going to be a second-round pick and give them the opportunity if they have not signed a contract to come back. We thought that that benefit outweighed the effect on the coaching on the coach. And as a coach, it's going to be brutal. It can be brutal to certain programs, admittedly. Um, but one thing I will say is, as, as, a, as a fraternity, coaches, we can adapt. We'll adjust, we'll adapt, we'll figure out how, how to work around that. But it's, it's difficult. It's, that's not going to be an easy thing for coaches. Uh, and and that, I know that, and the commission knows that after our, our discussions. Well, our thanks again to John Thompson the third. John, thank you. Given us your perspective on all of this, it's, it's uh, I think it's been a, sounds like a fascinating process and the, the interesting start to what will be a very curious and hopefully a very productive journey for us. John, thanks so much. Can I make one more? You certainly one may. Thing. One thing I think that's important that didn't come up today is, is we really tried to think through the unintended consequences of each recommendation. And so with one and done, one thing that I think is crucial, you know, because players had to go to school for a year and they had to meet initial eligibility requirements, in high school they stayed on track. 
because they know, hey, I want to play that one year. I want to be eligible to play. Now, all of a sudden, you take away the requirement to go to college. And you're going to have a handful, whatever the number is, 5, 10, 20 guys that are going to be one and done each year. But you're going to have, in my opinion, thousands of guys who, from their sophomore year, thought they were going to be that one and done. And then and everybody, and were, and were everybody told, thinks. And I would think in some ways, as a coach, you wanted guys who correct. thought they, were, they could be that good. Right? But then all of a sudden, you get to senior year, and you're not. And because you thought you were going to be that guy, you haven't academically been progressing towards initial collegiate eligibility. And so one of the things that we tried to do or we recommended, and all the I's haven't been dotted and T's haven't been crossed, with, with summer ball where we're bringing in USA basketball and bringing in the NBA and the, and the Players Association and trying to come up with a different July model that USA basketball leads the way. But to be eligible for those events, there are certain academic requirements that you have that's to hit. A, that's a great so idea. So that you still are incentivized to stay on track. And even the kids that are one and done, they still want to participate in those USA basketball events. So, so that they, still keeps still, them engaged. Hopefully. Hopefully. Well, it, it um, sounds like, because as I said, I had thought that could be a problem. When you take away, again, look, you're talking about 16, 17-year-old boys. And if you don't yeah. have, sometimes you need, uh, for all of us together, you need the carrot right. to keep it out in front of them. And, and that's an interesting an interesting idea and approach then. Hopefully it will keep them Hopefully, engaged. We'll and see. maybe even get some, some guys more engaged. Right. All right. John, a pleasure. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you very much. And we are delighted to be joined by Grant Hill right now to talk a little bit about the, the commission. Grant, a member of the commission um, on college basketball, of course, legendary basketball player at Duke University in the NBA, and now involved in so many other aspects, social issues, uh, still the NBA, um, as a, involved in a franchise ownership. So brings a unique perspective to these conversations. So, Grant, let me start off asking the same thing I asked some of the other members, and that is coming into this, what were your expectations? That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think at first, because uh, I, I was passionate about the college game and my own personal experience as a student athlete, uh, and then of course distraught over you know the the FBI investigation and sort of the state of college basketball, uh, I, I wanted to sort of you know sort of get involved, be involved, and try to be uh, part of the solution. Uh, and I think at our first meeting, when we really started to dive into the details, it was a little overwhelming. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I was, I'll be honest, I was a little unsure. C- can we really make a difference? Can we affect change? Uh, because there were so many layers, there were complexities to, to all that was happening. There was certain things that we didn't have purview over. Um, and so um, I was probably, if I'm being honest, after our first meeting, unsure if mm-hmm. we could, you know, actually, um, you know, get to that point where where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I was impressed with the diversity of perspective and experiences uh, that 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 we had on, on this this commission, and I felt that that passion was shared. All of us cared, and all of us um, understand the role that. Uh, intercollegiate athletic sports can take uh, and, and shaping you know young men and women's lives and and so we, we looked at it as a sort of a moral sort of duty and responsibility and you know so it, it was it wasn't all necessarily bad <laughs> at first but uh, it, it was definitely a, a lot to take in and uh, you know 
very sort of a very difficult task that we had in front of us. Yeah. Let me ask you about some of the specifics mm-hmm. in, the, in the recommendation here. Uh, there, are, there are many of them. Uh, they are all interwoven, as Dr. Rice has said. They're not designed to be a series of standalones. Uh, they are, they're all significant on their own, but they're significant as part mm. of, of, of th- this group of recommendations here. And she made the point that the, the journey from recommendation to implementation can often be a, a hazardous one. So that's where we have to see how we get to there from now. That being said, the, the, they are all important. But certainly, as, as you might anticipate, the headline so far today has been recommendation do away with one and done. Your perspective as somebody who, who chose to stay four years in college, and you've talked about Duke University, marvelous place, great experience for you, not just as a basketball player, but as a person, mm-hmm. and then having a lengthy and, and successful NBA career. I'm curious whether you think the NBA, and, and more importantly, the NBA Players Association, is going to be willing to say, okay, we're okay with this. We're going to do away with this one and done rule. What do you think? You know, I, I'm optimistic that the NCAA, the NBA, uh, the NBA P, uh, Players Association, um, you know, they see the big picture. You know, this sort of scandal that occurred last year, the FBI uh, investigation, uh, you know, was definitely um, a black eye on college basketball. But I, I think it was a black eye on basketball in general. And uh, I do believe from our commission as a group meeting with both the NBA leadership and the Players Association leadership, and then meeting uh, individually, um, Condoleezza Rice and I, uh, with with Adam Silver and, and Michelle Roberts, um, they they see it, they get it, they understand the big picture. Um, I think even Adam Silver has come out maybe six weeks ago and mentioned that look, we we need to, to take a look at this and and, and maybe go back to. Uh, you know, the, the former model that we had, um, you know, obviously there, there are sort of protocols and procedures and they have to sort of vote on it with uh-huh. their board of governors and the players and, uh-huh. and eventually has to be negotiated. But I think... Let me ask you about that, that yeah. process, because I would suspect that Michelle Roberts, as the head of the union, mm-hmm. is going to have some of her members come to her and say, look, I'm the 10th guy on a roster and I'm a fourth or fifth year veteran. So I'm making a certain amount of money here, right. and, and I'm kind of hanging on, and I'm worried because if we're opening up the doors to an 18-year-old right out of high school, and the owner, general manager, looks and says, I can pay the 18-year-old significantly less than I'm paying you as a fifth-year veteran, you know, and maybe they'll be the eighth man on the roster. Mm-hmm. My concern is if I'm that player is that's going to happen, and I'm going to lose my job. So I got to believe that she's going to have some union members coming to her and say, look, the big picture is all well and good, but your job is to protect me and protect me as an NBA player and all of my other brothers here that are need some sort of protection. I, I suspect it might be an uphill battle. What do you think? That's, that's a great point. You know, I go back to when, you know, when I was uh, playing and I was a member of the union, and that was my argument. Mm-hmm. And, you know, why are we protecting the rights of, uh, teenagers who are really being drafted on potential. Um, and for those of us who've been in the league and have you know, put equity in this league and, and, and have added value to this league, um, you know, we're essentially going to be displaced 
for players who, who really aren't ready to come in and contribute right away. You know, we're, we're, we're you know, we paying dues. We're, we're, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're members right. of the, of the, and I was looked at, it was almost like I was, you know, I was shot down when I'd bring that up. And I feel like there was just a tremendous amount of momentum uh, amongst um, the union, the union leadership that, hey, you know, if, if you, if you or if you can go and fight in you know fight in the war, then you should be able to make a living playing in the NBA. And I don't know if that influence came from agents mm-hmm. or or what have you. There was obviously at the time a lot of young players who entered the league and have had great careers. You know, you think of the Kobe Bryant's and the Kevin Garnett's and and guys of of that stature. Um, but I was in the minority. Now that could change, but. Um, from talking to some members of the executive leadership committee uh, of the union, a lot of whom I played with and against uh, during my career, there seems to be some momentum. So I don't, I don't, you know, anything can happen. And obviously, if 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 it doesn't happen, as Condi mentioned in her remarks, then we have to sort of reconvene and figure out, okay, what what can we do differently? Uh, and obviously, freshman ineligibility was was talked about, and some other measures that we discussed. Uh, internally during this process, um, so you know anything can happen, and I think you make up a, you you bring up a great point, but there seems to just be uh, a spirit of, um, you know, people seem I, th- I get the sense that a lot of the players today seem to think it's too restrictive, yeah. and making kids go to college is unfair, yeah. and I do think we're in somewhat agreement in that, and, and hopefully that. You know, hopefully, hopefully we'll see. Hopefully, time right. will tell. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I I sense a shift in the momentum. Uh, six, seven, eight years ago, the argument was, uh, you know what, they're not ready, so let's give them a year of growth, and not just physical growth, but emotional growth and intellectual growth, um, and let them let them come and experience that. And I I think we're seeing we've seen a shift away from that. People are saying it, it just it, it's essentially a charade. And why should we enforce a charade? Do you, do you get that sense? Of- yeah, I mean, if you go back to, I think it was two thousand five when the one and done rule was 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 implemented. Uh, it was really sort of spearheaded by the NBA, and there was concern that the league was getting younger and younger. Um, you had all these young players coming in, and teams did not have the infrastructure to handle some of the challenges that existed with. 18, 19-year-olds entering the league as opposed to maybe 20, 21, 22. And as you know, there's an enormous difference. There's a huge difference. Athletically, between an 18-year-old and a 22-year-old. Athletically, but also mentally, emotionally. um, And so that was the concern. Now, as you fast forward to present day, uh, 2018, the teams are more sophisticated because we have this one-and-done model, and now the league is younger, and you have teams that – essentially could be college teams fielded with 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds. They have, uh, I I know I'm the vice chairman of the Atlanta Hawks, and I'm just amazed at our player development staff and the resources that we provide for our players in present day compared to when I first came in the league back Mm -hmm. in the 90s. And so um, I just think as 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 a league overall and teams, and it varies obviously from team to team, but they're, they're, they're better, they're more ready to handle that and pr- really help and assist these young men as they transition into the NBA 
uh, and hopefully can realize their potential. So, you know, not only has the momentum maybe changed on the player side uh, in terms of the union, but also when you look at the, the teams themselves, it's a different. We're in a different place as a league than we were in 2005, uh, and so I think it, it. I think it can be something that really can be mutually beneficial for all the parties involved. Uh, the NCAA kind of you know gets what they want. Not saying it'll eliminate all the problems, but it'll certainly um, you know prevent some of the things from entering into the NCAA. Um, and then of course the NBA. You know, now you're getting these kids, and you can start working with them right away, and 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 bring them into your, um, you know, to your organization, and you have the resources to help them succeed. Uh, so, um, you know, but we'll see. I mean, I, you know, we'll see. you never, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> it comes to negotiations, you never know how <laughs> exactly. things play out. Exactly. Uh, one other last issue I want to ask you to to reflect on, and again, it's something that that you had lived through. I'm curious about the differences in terms of recruiting and summer ball mm. from, let's say, when you were a senior in high school to what is the, the manner in which it plays out now? You know, and, and that's one of the things that was uh, very eye-opening for me. You know, I, I obviously, um, I'm around the game, but I wasn't as aware of sort of the atmosphere and the environment in summer basketball or non-scholastic right. basketball, grassroots basketball. Uh, things have changed. You know, I think back, to the 80s when I played AAU basketball and uh, and I was fortunate we we you know when I was 13 and under and 15 and under we won the national championship for AAU so we had a good team and uh, we had you know some players who went on and played in college and played in the NBA um, but we raised money you know car washes you know <laughs> ringing the bell and doing stuff at a at a drugstore a supermarket um, going door to door. Uh, one year, my mom just went ahead and paid the bill <laughs> and sort of financed our ability to— Rather than her baking donuts yes. and cookies, said, well, look, mom, I'll just write a check for it. My mom's not a baker. So, um, <laughs> I, know, I, mean, I know your mom. She yeah. has marvelous talents in a lot of fields. <laughs> she does. She does. Yeah. And thank you. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that was—there there was, there was an innocence, it seemed, back then. And even when you went to camps, it was about teaching and— the money hadn't really poured into the grassroots. You weren't getting uh, people who were third-party individuals who saw it as a an opportunity for them to make money off of the backs of these young these young kids. And so, uh, a lot has changed. And now I have a daughter who's in high school and plays basketball. And so we see it on the girls' side, which um, is amazing to me. Just you know the atmosphere and and just how massive it's become. But that's only magnified even more so on the boys' side, and in large part because of the money that's that's the pot of gold that's at the end of the rainbow. And so um, that is something. There's no governance. There's no, um, you know, there's no sort of there are no rules in place that really monitor that. And it's gotten to a point where it's out of control. So these kids, their experiences through summer basketball prior to even getting to college, it's a lot different. And in some ways, they, it creates a—I think it creates a, 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 an attitude, a sense of entitlement. One, it creates this sort of sort of professional mindset, um, and a lot of these kids are sort of acting like pros uh, while they're still in in high school. And you know, the various 
you know, various AAU teams that are trying to finance them and, you know, is there money going under the table and, and things of that nature and playing every weekend in these massive flying all over the country. Um, and so in some respects, you can say it's not an indictment on all AAU programs because there are some really good ones. And I think there are some programs that um, provide exposure for kids who might not normally get that. But it opens the floodgates and opens the opportunities for corruption, and we've seen that, and we, we've seen that, and um, and I don't think anybody's surprised. It's not like this in FBI investigation uh, caught anybody off guard. Uh, I think everybody kind of knew that this was going on, um, but you know, never really did anything with that, or dealt with it, or turned the you know turned the other way, uh, and so. Um, it, it, I'm, look, I'm glad that I played when I played. I didn't have to deal with a lot of what these young young kids are, are dealing with now. And, and, and really what it does, it, it, it hurts. It not only sort of affects the college game, but it affects the, the NBA. You know, it, it affects. Um, so the idea of, of reimagining grassroots basketball Involving USA Basketball that has credibility, the NBA which has credibility, uh, bringing some structure and some organization to to, to our grassroots system, uh, and cleaning it up a bit, uh, I, I think will have positive uh, effects. You know, one one thing that that Condi Rice said was, 40% of the players drafted uh, in recent years in the NBA draft uh, have been born outside of the the continental U.S. Mm-hmm. And you can look at that one of two ways. You can say, look, it, it speaks to the globalization uh, of the sport, which in, in part it does. But also it may speak to the failure in our development process of young players here in the United States. And so to me, that number, if we don't make some changes, that 40% will grow and become even bigger because some of these other countries are doing a better job. Right. And so it's an opportunity not just to clean up um, the sport and clean up grassroots basketball, but let's improve it. Let's make it better. Let's give these these young kids a chance to really become the best players they can become. And uh, and so that's you know it's, it's part of the the excitement and the opportunity that we have here. And it won't be easy, but it's got to be a collaborative effort. We got to work together. Uh, we got to talk to each other, which we've done. And and uh, we I think we have an opportunity to really do something huge and something positive and impactful. I think it's interesting. Somebody during the course of the session this morning mentioned about, you know, don't want to give up the opportunity to benefit from a crisis. Right. You know, it's sometimes you need a crisis to stimulate change. And it sounds like looking at the recommendations that you all made and, and looking at the time that you put in and the thought you put in all of this, it sounds like you've been able to take a crisis and hopefully we'll find out, but hopefully turn it around and get something positive out of it. So. Hopefully that'll happen. Grant Hill, Grant, uh, thank you for, for your perspective on this. We appreciate your spending some time talking with us and giving a better understanding of all of this. Make sure you tell your dad I still remember when he ran over top of me in, in practice up at Yale. Yeah, and, and no, I appreciate that. I will let my father know, uh, yes. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, that then does it for this special edition of the College Sports Insider presented by the NCAA and by Champions Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. Thanks for joining us as we took a deep look into the recommendations that have been put out now by the Commission on College Basketball and discussing just where they're going to go from here. Thanks again for joining us. We'll look forward to talking with you again real soon. 